You know, anytime uh, I come up to do a message at all, I always pray in advance, which is, is a good thing for, you know, pastor to do, right? They should pray before their message. And I always ask God, I say, God, what do you want me to talk about? What's, what's on your mind for me to, to share? You know, what do we need to be talking about today? And God is always faithful when we ask. He answers. Uh, now, this is one when he gave me the answer. I kind of stopped and, and I said, did I hear that right? Are you sure? Because this message today has stepped on my toes a lot. Um, so if it does, this is, is not an intentional. I'm not pointing any people out. And as I go through the message when I'm talking about the church, it is not this particular church. I'm being clear on that. It's not just Dover Assembly. I'm going to be talking about Christianity as a whole this morning. How it applies in your own life is between you and God. I'm giving the disclaimer now because that's the society we live in, right? This is the disclaimer that comes before the message. So, so now you've had your disclaimer. I think I've given my, my legal, you know, get me off the hook speech. So we'll go ahead and get started this morning. Darkness grows in the last days. Doesn't that sound like a line from a movie? I think it probably was, but from 1973 to 2018, 61.8 million abortions have been performed in the U.S. alone. Right now we're averaging about 875,000 a year, just in this country. That's 186 out of every 1,000 people. So if you were to line 1,000 people up outside this building right now, pull 186 of them. It's a pretty staggering number. In the U.S. alone right now, there are 292,000 children legally adopted that are being raised in homosexual homes. Whether couples, whether they identify as both, whether it's a single parent, 292,000 legally adopted that we know of that are documented. That doesn't count previous families, maybe people have made a different lifestyle decision. So that number's probably higher than that. The divorce rate in our country, currently 39%, which sounded encouraging because you remember it wasn't too many years ago that it used to be up closer to 50. But then I looked a little further into it. The reason that number has dropped is because the marriage rate in our country has dropped while the cohabitation rate has gone up. We see school shootings and suicides on the rise. Uh, this year, particularly, the suicide rate is higher than normal. Wars seem more prevalent than ever. If you want to drill down just here in the local area, just in the area of York, there are at least 328 documented people that are reported as homeless on a consistent basis. And as of 2016, the Susquehanna Valley area accounted for 15% of the state's total allocation for food stamps. This is kind of the breadbasket of the state, and yet 15% of the state's allocated food stamp budget is going into this area just so people can afford to buy food. Drug addiction is on the rise. If you watch the news, they are trying very hard to legalize and decriminalize marijuana. Oregon has already taken it a step further than that, and they've been discussing things like heroin, making it legal, decriminalizing it. Sure, it's fine. Go ahead. I have heard it said most of my life that we have a sin problem in this country. Many of you might even agree with that. And while I'm not going to argue that point, I am going to take it one step further. Because I don't think it's that we have a sin problem. I think it's that we have an apathy problem. 
And this is where my toes started getting stepped on with this. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. While you're getting there, I'm going to give you a brief background on this because, as you know, Revelation deals with end-time events. It's a prophetic book, and a lot of that you're seeing fulfilled now. But the book starts off being written by John to churches in the area of Asia Minor. There were seven churches. He wrote letters to them. Now, those were real churches in real time at that time that had real issues. The reason we still keep it and we still study it is because it also applies to the churches through the ages. Because at any time or another, a church can find itself relating to one or more of these churches, and we can do that as individuals. And we're going to look at a few of these this morning. So if you're in chapter 3, if you go to verse 14, we'll start there. And it says, To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Would that we were either hot or cold. So that's the first one. That deals with the lukewarm, could take it or leave it. And he tells us to be zealous and to repent. You may remember one of the twelve disciples was known as Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a group of people in Jewish society around about the time of Christ that were, they, they would be considered the radical right-wing element of their day, okay? This was the, the Jewish version of maybe the Tea Party or, or you know, very, very right-wing, very conservative. They were also very vocal, very outspoken, and at times maybe a little bit more on the uprising revolt kind of, of end of things. That same passion is what he's talking about, not the idea of overthrowing the government or doing crazy things like that, but that zealous, that, that fire, that you see in people like that. He's saying, be zealous. Don't just be kind of passive. Be zealous and then repent. Recognize what you're doing. Let's go and take a look at verse 1 in chapter 3. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. 
The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And then finally, let's look at verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The darkness is growing. We see that. But the interesting thing about darkness is that it's not a force in and of itself. Darkness is merely the absence of light. It cannot grow unless the light recedes. And there's really only two instances that I have found where specifically you could say that the light had receded, and the light in this case being the light of the Word, the light of God. One is at the rapture, when he withdraws his church, when he withdraws his spirit. And I'm assuming that that has not taken place yet. If it has, then we're in, in bigger trouble than what I've gone over so far. <laughs> so for argument's sake, we're going to assume that the rapture has not happened yet because we're still here. So what would be another case where the light could recede? God's presence is everywhere. God is here. So if he's still here, how does the light become less? Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at verse 14. Look at what the Lord says here. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. In other words, it's our job. When Jesus was ascended into heaven, the Holy Spirit came down. This now became our job. We're vessels that contain the light of God. We, with His Spirit inside of us, are the light of the world. And notice what it says in verse 16. It says, in the same way, let your light shine before others. That term involves choice. So we have the choice every day, every minute of every day, 
to shine our light or not. God isn't going to make us do anything. If you know anything about God, He's not a God who beats us over the head and forces us to do things. If He did, the world would be in a better place because we would be a lot more active about doing things. Instead, we have total choice to do it. And these were some of the thoughts that went through my head as I was putting this together that God laid on my heart. Think about this. Just in the past week, how many people did we witness to? How many organizations did we actively work with that support or are otherwise actively engaged in reaching the lost? Did we feed anyone? Did we clothe anyone not in our immediate family or our immediate easy sphere of influence? We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Most of us probably had leftovers. Were we thankful for those? And did we spare even five minutes to remember those who didn't have any leftovers, who didn't have a meal surrounded by family, and in fact who might not have even had a home to celebrate in? The weather's getting colder outside right now. How thankful are we for a warm house to live in? And how willing would we be to open our homes to someone who doesn't have that? I have had personal experience with that before. There was a period where we were in between homes and I had another house lined up that we were moving into, but there were some issues, some delays, and we had about three weeks where I had to leave the one we were in and we had to go somewhere else waiting on the other one to get ready. It ended up being about three weeks, but we weren't really sure how long it was going to be. And there was someone we went to church with at the time who was kind enough to open their homes, no questions asked, to me and my family. And we knew each other from church. We weren't the best of friends, but we knew each other. But they came up and just offered. They said, hey, I heard that you had a need. I heard what was going on. You're welcome to come and stay with us. Here's the code to my front door. There's times we're not going to be here, but you guys treat this house like it's yours. Come in, stay as long as it takes. No conditions. They didn't want any money from us. They completely opened their home to us. And if you've never been through that, I will tell you that is an absolutely humbling experience. And it was an amazing demonstration of God's love. And ever since that time, I've asked myself, how willing would I be to do that for someone? Because I'm a very, you know, I've got that southern mountain thing in me. I'm kind of, you're not part of my mountain, you know, arm's distance. My, my way of greeting people is kind of in the back of my head, you know, that meeting you at the front door with a shotgun kind of approach. <laughs> Where I come from, we're just not friendly to outsiders by nature. It's, it's just, it's a, I don't know, it's a Scots-Irish thing or something, but we're just not, we're friendly enough, but it's kind of a friendly at a distance thing. That's not the way God wants it. So I think, how, how willing would I be to do this? Kind of makes me ask myself, where am I at with my love walk with God? Because why am I not willing to do that? Why is there that hesitancy there? What do I need to change within my own life to get to that point? Regarding relationships, I work with a lot of 20-somethings. And it's not unusual in discussing things with them that their thought process is the way a relationship is supposed to work is you date someone, then you move in together. Then if you feel like it after a while, you're pretty sure it's going to stick. You might get married. Don't have to. It's kind of optional. You know, if you want to do that, fine, if you feel like it. Most of them have been raised in situations where they've either known people that have been divorced or been in single families. They've seen a lot of stress and a lot of heartache. 
And they grow up and they're like, I just don't see the point in it. Now, this isn't something out of my own head. This isn't a statistic. This is talking to people real time on the street. This is what they're telling me. This is how they look at their day-to-day -day life. It, regarding TV, I heard the other day on the radio that apparently there are some networks this year who have chosen not to air the classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The reasoning behind that is because there are some scenes that depict bullying. And so they've said, we're not going to air it. We don't, that's not okay. We don't support that. So they're pulling, they're pulling a Christmas classic because of bullying. Okay, fine. I pulled Netflix out of our house about five months ago because there were a growing number of children's cartoons, and I'm talking rated on the rating, it says rated seven and above, that depict openly physical homosexual couples holding hands, kissing, the whole shebang, on a cartoon for a seven-year-old. That apparently is okay. But bullying from Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, we've got to pull that because the you know, Lord only knows what's going to happen if you show that to society. The whole world could come apart. And as Christians, what are we doing about it? I work with somebody who's a a very right-wing, very vocal individual, and I love him to death. He's a great guy. Um, enjoy talking with him. He, go, he has a, a church that he goes to. Um, but he gets kind of fired up about things. And maybe it's a mistake, but we usually have Fox News on it at lunch at work, and he gets kind of fired up, you know. But one question he has asked me for the last five years that I've worked with this individual, he always looks at me and he says, Where's the church? So I have to drill it down and ask myself a better question because the church, by all accounts, is alive and well. It's still here. And in talking to people in my sphere, there, there's people that aren't happy with the way things are. We don't like it. We get mad about it. You know, we grumble about it. We it shouldn't be this way. But do we do anything past that? Do we take any additional steps to make any kind of changes? So the question really becomes, do we really want to do anything? Because it's really easy to come and just sit in a nice sanctuary on a Sunday, maybe a Wednesday night, hear a message, sing some songs, go back home. That's easy. What do we do with all the other time, the other six days of the week? Because, you know, God doesn't just work two days a week. He doesn't, doesn't take a lot of time off, right? He's, he's pretty active 24-7. And honestly, as Christians, we're on call 24-7. I don't know if you've ever worked a job where you're on call or not, but it's, it's not always fun. You lose sleep, right? How many of you ever had that, uh, that spiritual on-call moment, four in the morning, God wakes you up and tells you you need to pray for something? And you're kind of sitting there thinking, seriously, God, you couldn't have told me this at like seven o'clock last night? Why, why am I doing it four in the morning? Sometimes that's when things happen, right? Emergencies happen at crazy times of the night. We have to be ready for that. So we're on call. Turn with me to John chapter 5 because that question of do you really want to do anything, Jesus actually asked that very question of somebody else. This is starting in verse 1. It says, After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool. In Aramaic, it's called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades. And in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, paralyzed, 
One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed, and he walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered him, The man who healed me, that man said, Take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, Well, who's the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed didn't know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And afterward Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you're well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man then went away and told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered him, My father is working until now, and I am working. Now just think about that for a minute. Isn't that kind of a bum rap? You're there to help somebody. Man's been there for years. You miraculously heal him. And what do you get for it? You did it on the wrong day. Really? <laughs> How many of the crazy regulations, though, do we see? How many, and maybe you've been a part of some of these organizations, some of these churches who have got these traditional ideas of this is how things have to be. They can't be done in any other way. You know, my wife and I, when we first moved up to the area, we were visiting churches, and we stopped at one. And it was a nice enough church. People were friendly enough. You know, we didn't feel spiritually like it was a good fit for us, but afterwards we were visited by the pastor and the associate pastor. It was associate pastor and youth pastor, I think, two of the staff members. And they came and they brought to us a 38, kid you not, 38-page discourse that their senior pastor had written about why contemporary Christian music was sinful and of the devil and why they would never have it in their church. And, we, we, you know, we were very nice. We were like, okay, thank you. We don't believe in that, but... But you kind of stop and ask the question, so at what point in the 1920s, because that's when most of the, the hymns they were singing were written, I, I don't know, did God's Spirit descend in the 1920s and then go away again? Like this music is all you got, it's holy and nothing else can happen? What about all those passages in the Bible where it says, sing unto the Lord a new song? You ask these questions, and I'm not trying to be flippant or sarcastic. I mean, that's where they're at spiritually. It's not where they should be. There's places maybe we shouldn't be. That, that's a question between, you know, you and God, me and God. But that's when, you know, in Scripture you can speak to it, and yet that's where they're at. That's where they wanted to be. You know, the Jews in this time were saying the same thing. It's like, well, you healed on the wrong day. And Jesus is like, look, my Father's working, I'm working. But look what he asks the sick man up here. In verse 6, Jesus asks the question, do you want to be healed? Now, you kind of read that, and it seems kind of silly, right? Because the man's been there for 38 years. He's at this place where the waters get stirred up by the angel. You know, somebody steps into the water, the first person in gets healed. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? But you've got to look at how he asked that, because he's not asking the question like, you know, do you want to be healed? Like, he doesn't know. He's saying it like this. 
do you really want to be healed? He's questioning whether or not the man actually wants to get better. And there's a reason for that. Look at this. He's there for 38 years. You're telling me in 38 years he couldn't have found a way to get closer to the water? If I was an invalid and I'm near a pool that I know that whenever that water gets stirred up, if I get in it, I'm going to get better. And one time, if it happens where somebody beat me down there, you better believe the time between that time and the next time, I'm working my way down. I'm laying sideways on the edge of that pool. The minute that thing so much as ripples, I'm rolling over and getting in. I ain't beating around the bush and waiting on it. 38 years this man's here. And remember how it's described. There's five roofed colonnades. So these are large structures where they've got these big roofs shading this area. It's a big broad platform that angles down to this pool and it's crowded. I get the impression from my reading of this that he's up somewhere on probably one of those top tiers because it says he has to work his way down. So for 38 years, he's had his, his spot picked out. This is where he sits. This is his little spot. And it's nowhere near the water for 38 years. Man could have retired from being an invalid. <laughs> and Jesus asked him, do you really want to get better? And he could have just gone on to say, because you're not really acting like it. You're saying you want to be healed. You're in the right place. You're at the place you could get better. You know all the stuff to do, but you're not really doing anything to get there. And look what the man says. Sir, I don't have anyone to put me in the pool of water. You know, while I'm going, someone else gets down before me. Jesus calls him on this, asks him the question, and what's the first thing he does? He gives an excuse. Well, this is why I can't do it. You know, don't blame me. Now think about what we've been talking because I think if Jesus had a question he was going to ask his church today, as a whole, not just this church, but as a whole, I think that would be the question he would ask. Do you really want to see change? Do you really want to work? You know, we joke around about it sometimes, like we're trying to fill spots at, at a church, you know, on a board or some kind of committee or something. Um, you know, the church I used to be in back in Knoxville was, was a very large church. We had about, I think, 700 people on the membership rolls. Probably about 400 were there on a regular basis. And we still had a hard time filling some of the spots for teachers, different things like that. A large number of very qualified people. And every time you would ask somebody, hey, would you be able to do this? Pray about it. See if you may be interested in doing something like this. First thing out of the mouth, here's why I can't do it. Here's the excuse. And that's fine. If they're not called to do it, no harm, no foul. I'm not trying to guilt anybody into anything. But there were some of those people that I talked to that sincerely I knew they had been praying for opportunity, they had been looking for ways to serve. Guess what? Here's your golden opportunity. I can't do it because. Hands off, don't ask me. I got things to do. But they would also turn around and complain about something not being done or something not being right. But they're not doing anything about it. So if we say, yeah, we really want change, if we really want to see things done different, if we really don't like the way this world is, if we hate the fact that there's 61 million abortions plus credited to just our country, if we've got these things going on and we say, I don't like that, what are we doing about it? And it doesn't have to be anything major. It could be something small. You can start small. There are organizations here in the state 
that you can sign up and be a part of that don't cost anything. There's one that's a nonprofit legal group that I work with. They represent cases about not only abortion, but also freedom of speech, uh, pertaining to Christianity in places like schools, school districts, things like that. You can get on their email list. They will email you anytime there is any kind of bill before the state house or before the federal house that deals with any of those topics. Along with that, they put a link to the bill so you can read it for yourself. They tell you exactly what's going on. They tell you where it's at in the court process and the legal process. And they also provide links to your specific state or federal representatives, senators and congressmen. You can click that link. I've got my browser set up with a pre-fill, so I click my browser, all my information's in there. They even make it easy that they've got a boilerplate template of what they put in there. Please vote against or vote for a House bill, Senate bill, whatever. They detail the reason why. You can keep it or change it, but sign your name to it, another click, and you've automatically contacted your congressman, your senator, and taken part in our legal process of saying, as one of your constituents, I don't like this, and I want you to vote against it. It takes less than two minutes, but you've taken an active part. You've taken an active stand for or against something. And there are things like that out there everywhere. My oldest daughter, a few years ago, got us involved in Samaritan's Purse. She's, she's very big into it, and she was just really led to do that. And so every year, that's something we participate in. I uh, found out when you are 13, you can volunteer to help out in the distribution warehouses. So probably in May, I will be able to tell you what that's like, because after her birthday, that's the first place she wants to go. <laughs> There's one in Harrisburg, one down in Baltimore, so we'll be taking part in that. When they were putting up the hospitals in New York, Samaritan's Purse put up two of those up there. Uh, there's one there and one over in Italy. And, and we were able to help support that because that was something God had been laying on our heart to do. But that's us taking an active part in doing something to make a difference. You may feel led to get more involved in something. My own journey started here saying to God, you know, God, I really feel like you're, you're wanting me to become more active. I was just, you know, sitting in the pew coming on Sunday, was faithful to come. But God started working with me. From that little prayer that said, I'm available, I went from usher to Sunday school teacher to board member to now I'm up here. And wherever else God wants me to be and wants me to do, I want him to know I'm available. I want to be doing something. What's he say? My father is working until now and I'm working. And I try not to kick myself because I look back at so many times in my life and I'm like, God, I missed it right there. I could have witnessed to that person. I could have talked to that person. And my prayer at that point is twofold. Forgive me for whatever cowardice or whatever it was that I didn't open my mouth and say something. And please give either myself or somebody else another shot to reach that person. But that's not a fun prayer. Knowing that you've missed it. That's not fun. And I think we've all been there. But we don't have to stay there. The time is ripe now as a church, for us to get honest with ourselves. If we expect other people to do the same, you know, you need to get right, you need to change this, you need to do... It's got to start here. Remember that passage of Scripture that says, you know, don't be talking about the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a plank sticking out of your own. Take care of this first. And then God will open doors for us to help other people. And it isn't enough that we have the light, we have to let that light shine. The person who had the light and kept it under a bushel, they had the light. It just wasn't doing anybody any good. 
They kept it hidden. The smallest spark will always dispel the deepest darkness. We have a lake back home. It's called the Lost Sea. It's a very large underground cavern, got a huge lake on it. And I remember as a kid, we went there, and they take you on a boat tour out into the middle of it, and then they kill the lights. And it's a pretty wild feeling because you know you're over a, a bottomless lake, basically. You're way underground, it's cold, and you can't see anything. You hear a little bit of the water on the boat, maybe, but it's really still, so oftentimes not. Occasional drips. But I remember as a kid, I put my hand right up here. I could feel the warmth of my hand on my face. I couldn't see a thing. I waved it around. You couldn't even tell it was there. There wasn't even enough of a light to give you an outline of where your hand was after your eyes adjusted. But I guarantee you, if there had been a little spark or a little phosphorescence of any kind, it would have shown up. And the amazing thing is, is when you're in that deep, deep darkness, that smallest amount of light shines out like a huge beacon. It's not just slightly noticeable, it's very noticeable. So don't get discouraged when you look at the world around you and you see all these laws and all these regulations being passed and you think, man, this place is just getting awful. This is getting horrible. Maybe we need to move to another country or something. This place is really getting bad. No, no. That small amount of light that you've got will be that much brighter. And you'll be able to do that much more because people will see it. And people are hungry. I mean, the thing of it is, is right now, you, you can't really fuss at lost people for acting like lost people. You know, when, when you see those uh, nature videos, right, where the lion chases down an animal or something and kills it, you know, some people get really upset and they think, oh, you killed that, that poor little animal, and how could that lion be so mean? No, no, that lion is following its nature. It doesn't know to do any different. That's what it does. Without Christ in our hearts, the things that you see going on in this world and in this country around us, that's what we do. As a fallen creature, that's all we know to do. It's not that there's something wrong with people for the idea that they want to have an abortion you know, and perform that or something. They don't know any better. They don't even see it. The Bible says they're blind. We're the ones with the light. So it's not so much on them for following of lost and fallen nature. It really comes back on us. Why are we hiding our light? Why are we not out doing more? Why are we not out saying more? We've had organizations that have come in here that that's what they do, is they counsel young people in crisis situations and let them know there is an alternative to abortion. You can raise this child. There are places you can get help. If you don't have any family support, you can come here and get support. They've come here at least twice now and spoken. My family still helps them out as much as we can from time to time. Oftentimes it's just in little donations. They have a small store where the, the new moms can come in and they maybe don't have a lot of money to go down to Kohl's or someplace and buy stuff, but they can shop in their little store and get new clothes, buy the supplies they need, at a price that's very easy for them to afford. All we have to do is donate some things to them. And on their website, they even make it easy. They say, hey, this month, these are the items we need. If you're able and you feel that you can donate something, this is what we could use. 
And it's not even far from our house. We go down, we drop it off. It's an easy thing to do. But it's taking an active part to try and make a difference. See, a lot of times when you, when you ask people, you say, look, you need to get involved, you need to do something. The first thing that comes into your mind is, I don't have that kind of time because it's going to take all this time, it's going to take all this effort. No. Start small. Because God says when you're faithful with a little, He'll make you faithful with a lot. So if you really feel that burden in your heart, and, and you all know what I'm talking about, there's a hot button that each of you have, and it's probably all different, and that's why it's, it's different supposed to be. Because there are things that God wants to do with you that He can't do with me. Do you ever think about that? There are gifts that each one of you has that is unique to you. The people that God puts in your path is unique to you because God needs you to reach those people. That's why they're in their, your path. That's why you think about things the way you do. If I was in your sphere, I might not be able to reach those people. But you can. The question is, is are we going to allow ourselves? Are we going to let our light shine? Are we going to be willing to step out and do what God wants? Do we really want to see change? Or do we just want to hang out for 38 years and give excuses? You know, it seemed to be working for this invalid for a while, and Jesus is like, no. What did Jesus command the beggar? He told him three things. Number one, he told him, get up. That's step number one. I, I had a pastor who used to put it this way, and I always thought this was kind of blunt, but I trust you'll forgive me for sharing it this way. He said, get up off your blessed assurance. <laughs> and I always loved that. And you can, he was from Texas. You can just hear that, that southern Texas drawl. But it, it's true. Get up. Get busy. Do something. Don't just be content to, to warm a bench. You know, anybody who, who trains for a sport, which I'm going to be honest, was never me, okay? I was in the band. I, I would have been a tackling dummy on the football team, so I, I was not that guy. But I like sports, and I've been around a lot of people who were gifted athletically, so I understand the concept. You don't want to be a bench warmer. It's not really that much fun to get dressed up in the uniform just to sit on the sidelines. The Christian equivalent is we get saved and we sit on the pew. And we do nothing else. We're there. Spiritually, we're there in our Sunday best. We're in our white garments. We're, we're here. And then we leave. And what do we do in between those times? You don't necessarily have to be active in the church. Maybe there's not something here that God needs you to do. And that's okay. Maybe it's something with where you work. Maybe it's something outside of all this, like some of the organizations I've mentioned. And if you want names, I'll be glad to, to share names with you afterwards. But there are all kinds of places like that if you look. There are a ton of different food shelters. There's actually a food bank right down the road here. If that's something you feel strongly about, call them up sometime. Say, hey, look, our church took up a food drive for Thanksgiving for you guys, but what do you need on a regular basis? Could I donate something maybe once a month? Would it be better if I gave you money, or would you like me to try and collect canned goods and bring those in? It's not a problem to set a box out here. If you feel strongly about that, I'll be more than happy to announce it up here. If you want to head something like that up, guess what? We can do a collection once a month. Not going to break my heart at all. I'm going to rejoice because, you know, thank God, I've never been in a situation where me or my family have ever gone hungry, but there are people out there that they really don't know where their meals are coming from day to day. 
And they're going to be getting that from somewhere. And I would rather them get it from a church down the road that says, we care enough about you that we got up, we gave something to make sure that you were fed. And while we're meeting your physical needs, guess what? There's a God in heaven who loves you. Let's talk about your spiritual needs. Why don't you come up here to this welcoming church where we're at? We would love to have you. I would love to give that message. I would love to be able to do that. Maybe that's something God's impressed on you. Maybe he's impressing it on me. But those aren't hard things to do. That's easy for us to do. And we can do them if we want to. So the first thing he tells us is he says, look, get up. Take up your bed. And then do what? Then walk. Once you realize that there's a need, once you've seen there's a need, collect what you need to get that need filled and then go do it. The amazing thing about Jesus when he called the disciples, not one time did he tell them, he said, okay, look, guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stay right here in Jerusalem. I want you to plant a church right here. And I don't want you to go further than this city block. This is your place. Just stay right there. Don't do nothing else. Right there. He didn't say that. What did he do? He go into all the world. Go. I mean, when you really think about it, if you ever talk to somebody who questioned the existence of God, just think about this for a minute. This book that we study aside from the language it was written in, has gone basically unchanged for thousands of years. That in and of itself is a miraculous feat. Because when you study history at all and you look at the wars, you look at the dark ages, you look at all the crazy stuff that has happened, to think that these texts have made it through all that time. I've read a lot of old books. And I'm talking old, you know, a couple thousand years old outside of the Bible. And I've got to be honest with you, when I read them, sometimes they don't make a lick of sense. I sat there and I'm going, I, I don't know why this is supposed to be funny. I don't get it. My wife has a degree in classicals, uh, classical civilization, so ancient Greece, ancient Rome. And we've sat down and we've looked at some of the ancient Greek tragedies and the Greek plays. And I'm sitting there, I can't even find a plot line. And when I think I do find a plot, it just changes in the middle of something and goes off on a totally different tangent. And I'm scratching my head going, I'm reading it, but I'm not comprehending it. I just don't get this at all. And I like to think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I'm going, I just don't get this at all. This makes no sense. So I'll ask her about it, and I say, why, why is this important? And so she starts to explain the background, the backstory to me. She's like, well, this is, this is why, this is what the culture thought. She fills in the gaps. And then once I have the gaps filled in, I understand the purpose of the story. I still think it's weird, but I understand the purpose of the story. And I can see why it would have been relevant. But you see what I'm saying? I look at it and it has no relevancy to us today. This book is still relevant to each of us today. Like it was just written yesterday. That's God. And that's the only explanation for that is that that's God. Get up, take up your bed, and walk. The other thing is, is don't fear the consequences. Now, it's easy to say, right? Take a look at Matthew chapter 28. We're going to start in verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We think about authority in this country, we think about legal authorities. We think about the Supreme Court, we think about the governor. And right now, particularly with COVID, you know, this past year, we've seen a lot of authority. We've seen maybe some abuse of authority. We've seen questionable decisions in various places, right? But what do we say? Well, we still have to kind of go by it. It's the law. We want to respect the law, yeah. What about those laws that say you can't talk about these things in certain places? You can talk about anything else you want at work, but Jesus, don't mention him. You can talk about Muhammad. You can talk about Buddha. That's okay. But don't witness to somebody in the workplace. Why? Well, you can lose your job. That's considered harassment. Don't tell somebody if they ask, if they ask now. You know, do you think my lifestyle is acceptable to God? Well, if you say no, now that's discrimination. We're going to fire you. Those are the trials that we face here, right now in our country. And that's not a little trial, that's a big thing. That could be a big decision, it's a risk. I was reading an email earlier this week about a person who had just gotten out of prison. I think he'd been in there for two and a half years at this point for simply preaching the Word of God. He was being part of a house church. Two and a half years in a Chinese prison. I have read reports about people who have faced firing squads because they possessed a Bible. When you look at the rest of the world, Christianity, we do not have a problem here. And we still have a freedom of speech, we still have a freedom of religious expression. We can still have conversations with people anywhere regardless of what kind of laws they make and we can say it in love and God can give us the words to say it, maybe even to keep us out of trouble. But I think we have gotten so conditioned to the fact of, well, I can't say this. You can't say that here. You can't do that here. That we've become very passive. And it's become very normal to keep that lid on that light. And we look around and we see the results of it. Because when we start to hide our light, darkness is not a force, but it's a reciprocal. You take light away, darkness comes in. You shine light, darkness goes away. Jesus said... We have that light. So we can't walk out of here and honestly point fingers anywhere and say it's their fault, it's all the world's fault, it's this fault. No, no, the fault starts here. Because we have to ask ourselves the question, what are we doing about it? If the answer is nothing, then the fault is right here. And you can't go any further because it's our job to dispel the darkness. By whatever means God lays on our heart to do it. I really believe that we are in the last of the last days. It's fourth and long. We don't have time to sit around and debate safe little plays and safe little runs and little poses. It's time for Hail Mary. And the church needs to be willing to do it. But it starts here. And we have to bear with one another and support one another. Remember, this is not a solo deal. Church should be a place where we come together not just to exchange pleasantries, not just to get a little morale boost. It's to get recharged. That fellowship that we're supposed to have one another, what does the Bible say? Bear with one another. Bear each other's burdens. The trials that we face are very real. 
And they're very difficult, and we don't have to face them alone. That's what this is all about. We come together, we worship God, we praise God for the answers, for the strength, for meeting our needs, and then we talk to one another and we're like, look, I need you to pray for me about this. I'm dealing with this this week, and it's hard, and I'm scared, and it's tough, and I don't know what I'm going to do. You can pray for that person, offer to help them out, whatever God lays on your heart to do. But that's, where it, that's how it works, right? We build each other up. We recharge. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Those weights, those fears, those anxieties, those things that press down on you. He says, lay those aside. He gives us the choice to let go of that and to lay that at the foot of the cross. The sin which clings so closely. You ever find yourself doing those things, you're like, I know this isn't right, and it seems like I'm always doing this. Paul had that. Go back and look in Romans 7 and 8. He says, look, the things I want to do, I never do. The things I don't want to do, it seems like that's what I'm always doing. That sin that hangs so closely, don't let that be a burden for you. Don't let that hold you back. Don't let the guilt of whatever it is override you and keep you ineffective. Run with endurance the race set before you. Because despite any fear or hesitation, whatever God is calling you to do, whatever burden He's laid on your heart, you can do it. Philippians chapter 4.13 says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We don't do it out of our own natural ability. The only thing God wants us to do is to come to Him willing. He supplies everything else. But we have to take that first step. Like that man laying on his mat, we have to do the first thing. Get up. Take up what you need, and then take that first step in obedience and go and do it. The minute you do, God will take care of supplying everything else. But until you do, He won't. A lot of times we have felt like, I know I have anyway, I felt like I'm waiting on God. I'm waiting on God to do something. I can't do this until God does something. And when I don't see it happen for a long time, I get still and I get in Scripture and I realize I'm not waiting on God. God's waiting on me. He's already given me everything I need. He's given me every tool that I need. Am I going to use it? Do I want to see that difference made bad enough that I do something about it? And then every day we should be looking for ways to encourage one another. You know, if you're a husband or wife, encourage your spouse, encourage your kids. You know, encourage your neighbor. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. So it's not like we don't do these things. It's not like we're horrible at it. But he's saying keep it up. Because we need that encouragement to have the, the strength, honestly, to face every day. Because every day has new challenges. From the get-go, he's telling us, renew your mind daily. Choose today who you're going to serve. It, it's, a, it's a struggle every day. But it's something we can do if we want to do it. But when we make that decision to get up, when we make that decision to follow God, we know whatever he's called us to do, we're going to be more than conquerors through him. Right? Again, it's not out of ourselves, it's out of God. But we have to start with the question of God... What do you want me to do? And then ask yourselves, do I really want it enough to do what you're telling me to do? Starts there.
The minute you've asked that question, you've gotten an answer. There's not anything in hell that's going to hold you back. Because the light always dispels the darkness. So today, I'm going to leave us with this. I close. Let it be the decision today between you and God. Let's examine ourselves and say, God, show me. If there are areas where I've been hiding the light, if there's areas where I have not walked to the fullness of what you've called me to do, show me. Because I want to change. I see a lost and dying world. I see that the field is ripe for harvest. But the laborers are few. God, let me be one of those few. Let that be our prayer today. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. God, thank you for your challenge. Because it is a challenge, Lord. This, this message stepped all over my toes all week long. But God, I thank you for, for giving it to us. Because I think it's one that, in some way, form, or fashion, I think we all need to hear, Lord. Not to feel guilty, not to feel beat up. But just as a reminder... We need to be vigilant. We need to be serious about doing what you want, Lord. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us this week, to each of us. If there's something you need done, Lord, let us have willing hands to do it. If there's something we need to do, somebody we need to reach out to, God, open our hearts and let us have a heart full of your love, Lord, to reach out and do that work. God, whatever small amount it is, even if it's something tiny and small that doesn't take hardly any extra time, Lord, if it's just that much more effort, God, I know you're going to bless it. So I ask, Lord, that you would show each of us whatever it is we need to see from you, God, whatever it is we need from you, Lord, we ask that you would supply it and that we would turn and be faithful and use it, Lord, for your glory and your kingdom, that we would be found faithful servants, God, because you have done so much for us. And we can't ever earn that or, or try and pay it back, God. But, but out of love and out of gratitude for what you do for us, Lord, we want to turn around and do that for others to give back to you. Show us how we can be used, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.